to have some worship afterwards and probably have some prayer time as well and some ministry time. It's something that we, we perhaps overlook too often because we come in together as a family here. And I don't know about you and in your family, but we share stuff. And I know some of my family overshare. <laughs> Not mention any names, Grace, but so her stories do go on and on and on. But it's good to share with each other. And if we're in a family and you're saying, hey, I need, I need some help. I need someone to stand by me for, you know, I need, I need a bit of help. Maybe practical, practically, spiritually, then this is where it happens. Here, together. Let me just tell you about my encounter with God yesterday. Or was it God's encounter with me? I don't know. But it was an encounter. Um, yesterday I was invited to go up to London to meet Franklin Graham along with 100 other pastors and leaders from around the country. Only 100 from the different regions. So from South Wales and the West, we had some from Swansea, some from Cardiff, some two from Newport. Uh, it was me and Dave Edwards, Pastor Dave Edwards from the Kings, and someone from uh, Bristol. There were people from Glasgow, Liverpool, Sheffield, London. There was bishops attending. There was high-profile Christian speakers. Um, Franklin Graham came to explain to us what's happening and where we're going with the Graham tour because you've heard that a lot of venues have cancelled and there's big um, controversy over this. He was actually speaking this, this morning on Radio 4, wasn't he, Arthur? Um, and they were trying to attack him with all sorts of, what's his views on this? What's his views on this? This view and that view. And he kept just saying, I come to preach about Jesus. And that's all he said yesterday. I come to preach about Jesus. I'm not coming to bring anything con controversial. I'm not coming to bring people against each other. I come to preach about love. And it was just an awesome time. And the guy that I was with who was organizing the event in this area, he said, I've seen him speak on multiple occasions. And he said, I've never seen him as vulnerable as this. He just opened his heart for about half an hour with us. And some of the stuff he said, it just blew me away. One of the things that they have said is that they've never encountered such opposition as here in the UK. And that's around the world for many, many, many decades. They've had opposition, but never as much as this. So that says that God's going to do something great because the enemy doesn't like it. But it's a shame on us as a country. Yesterday, I met one of my heroes in the faith, R.T. Kendall. He was on the table next to me. And someone said, that's Artie Kendall. I said, ah, you might not know who Artie Kendall is, but he's 84 years of age. He's written about 50 books on Christianity. His teaching is world-renowned. He's a world-respected teacher of the Bible. And his preach and his books, if you've ever read them on forgiveness, is called Total Forgiveness. Um, I've preached this preach here. It's the only preach I've ever taken from someone and preached it verbatim, word for word. And I went up to him and I said, excuse me, sir. I said, you don't know me. I said, but I preach your, your sermon on total forgiveness. I've preached it twice. I said, I've given you credit each occasion. I said, but it, it's, it blew me away. And he just grabbed my arm and he said, young man, He said, young man, you can have it. I went, oh, God. He touched me on this arm, yeah. <laughs> no. But yeah, that was my encounter. I'll, I'll, I'll perhaps tell you a little bit more about that as I, as I go along. Because um, there was eight pastors and leaders on a train. And when we were coming back from London to Newport, wow, God just come down in that train carriage. I'll tell you about it in a moment. But I want to do the second part of the potter and the clay. So Isaiah 64. Isaiah is talking about the woes 
and the sin that's around at that time. And right there in verse 8, he just says, but yet, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You're the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Last week, we looked at the clay, the water, and the potter. This week, I got three other points. My first point will be in just a moment, the hands. We got the picture up? It will be in a moment. We've got a picture there somewhere of the potter and the clay. We'll have it up in just a moment. It is, eh? There it is. The hands on the clay. You see, a lot of things in our life, and we talked about it last week, things can enter into our life. like Little stones can get into the clay. And it's up to the potter to remove the stones. The clay can't do it itself. It has to be formed by the potter. And these little things have to be removed. And sometimes it's situations. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes it's disappointments. Sometimes it's regrets. And they can influence our lives. And it's up to him to take this out, to form us. But you need to know that you're not a collection of disappointments. You're not a collection of regrets or mistakes or even good things. Yes, good things and bad things happen in our lives. But they should not define us. They should not make you who you are. The hands of the potter makes you who you are. He gives you purpose. He identifies you. And so I come on to my first point, the hands. Before I do that, just one thing that I will say is that this evangelistic tour that's happening this year, it is going ahead, whether or not the venues um, it's go, it was purposed for, it will be used if they change their mind, fine. If not, other venues will be found. And he said, uh, they, they were saying from the team at the front, because someone has suggested, why don't they use some big churches? And he said, they've made it their policy not to use church property. He said, we should be in the public areas. He said, because Jesus used public areas. And he said, the, the, the places where you're restricted to use church properties are mostly communist countries where they say, you can only preach your, that gospel in your own place. They can control it. They can contain it. They can restrict it. So he said, we will be in public places. So it's still on. It's still on. Anyway, the hands. The best pottery, the most creative pottery, are formed by hands. No machine can do what the hand can do. No machine can create that pot with its intricacies and, and its delicateness. It has to be the hand. It's purpose and it's skillfully created. We are formed by your hands. And so as I'm looking through this and as I'm going through it, just look into your own life. Whose hands are forming you? Whose hands are on you? We talked last week about those thumbs. See the thumbs on the picture? They go down deep inside. Sometimes they have to work hard. There are different thicknesses of, of clay. And I heard as well last week, there are different types of clay. Because we are all unique. Made for different reasons, different purposes. The, the good thing about a pot after it's been made, is that the pot will always leave an identifying mark on it. And the more expensive the pot, the more elaborate the hallmark on it. You get some porcelain. And some Ming vases that are only identified by their mark because there's lots of fakes, lots of counterfeits. But an expert will look at this pot and he'll say, that is worth millions. Because it has the identifying mark of the potter. His hands. His fingerprints. His mark is on the clay. It's on you. Because you are his. 
You're made for a purpose. You're made for a reason. You are His. Ephesians 1 and verse 13 says, And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, a promise of the Holy Spirit. You're marked. Did you know that? You have a seal on you. You belong to Him. You've always belonged to Him. Imagine this. This scenario. If you were a a fantastic potter. If you were this creative that you could make a pot and you could create it with all that beauty. And you create this pot and you said, I'm not giving this away. I'm going to mark it. It's going to stay in my family. I'm going to pass this down as an heirloom. And you see, as you're getting older, you've passed it down to your children. And as your children's children, your grandchildren are growing up, you talk to them about this part and you say, this part is going to be handed down. I want you to hand it down. This is our family heirloom. But then... One day you hear that the pot's been stolen. It's gone. Someone's taken it. How would that make you feel? It's not just any old pot. It's not just any old mug or jug, whatever it is. It's yours. It's your family's. It's your possession. It's marked. It has your identity on it. And as you're walking down a city street one day, you look in a pawn shop and you see your pot. The one you've made. It looks identical. The colors, the the form of it. You walk in and you say, can I see the pot in the window please? And they get it for you and you turn it upside down and there's your mark. And you say to the, the shop owner, you said, this is mine. I made it. It was stolen from us. There's my mark. And he said, yes. 2,000 pound. Yeah, but it's mine. Yeah, but it's 2,000 pound. That's all the money I have in my bank. I don't have any more money. I need it. 2,000 pound. What do you do? You go to your bank. You draw out 2,000 pound, all that you have. And you give everything to get it back, don't you? Do you know what you've done? You've redeemed the pot. You've bought it back at a price. A a price that has cost you a lot. Even though it's yours in the first place. And this is what the Bible talks about. When it talks about being redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. When it says that you have been bought with a price. It means you have been redeemed even though you are His in the very first place. You've been lost, stolen. And Christ has redeemed you back. I got these words from a, a poem. I don't even know who, who's written it. Just a few words. It says, we forget the original artist. We forget the one who formed us from the dirt, who had his hand on us first, who placed his original print on the underside of our soul. We are more than decorative. And if we look each day or tip ourselves over, we'd see the engraved print of his finger marking us, marking us as a godly original. We are a godly original. You are a godly original. You are identified. You are the clay. He is the potter. Made for a purpose. Don't give up just because you might have some flaws. We've all got flaws. But he's reshaping us. He is working on us. I don't read these verses from the message. I don't know if we've got the the message translation. It's 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 and 7. 
So be content with who you are. Don't put on is. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you to the, at the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. He is careful with you. He has his hand on you. Be content with who you are. The mark of the master. His identifying mark is on you. His style, his touch, his fingerprints. You don't have to be leading any ministry. You don't have to be a, a pastor, a preacher. You don't have to have any obvious talents to be his. You are his. You're redeemed. You have worth. Everyone here, everyone who hears this message, whether it's on podcast or right here, you have worth. You have a purpose. Someone needs you. Someone relying on you. You have value. You are valued. And don't let anyone say otherwise. Don't let any situation change those words over you. You are loved. You are valued. You have worth. Why? How do I know I have worth? Because you've been bought with a price. You are unique. Let me just say this because in this day and age, in this society with all our social media and Facebook and Instagram and all the other ones I don't even know exist and wouldn't know how to do them anyway, stop looking at others. Stop comparing yourself to others because you are unique. You're the best you you could be. You're a terrible someone else. Didn't God say in Jeremiah, I formed you in your mother's womb. Even though we're all unique, we can still display the craftsman's touch. We can still show off his expertise in our lives. I love these verses in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, a, verse, a few verses from 13 down to about 18. You made all the delicate parts. The inner parts of my body, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before you, before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. How awesome you are. Every person is unique. Whose hand is on you? Who is shaping you? Have you got his mark? Can you see it? Dust it off. It's there. Not just the hands, but we come to the next part. It's the, the molding. The molding of the clay. Because the molding of the clay is different to when you just start it. You start it off by getting that, that hole in the middle and, and just, that is not the finished article. The molding finishes the article. The molding finishes the pot. I'm not the finished article. I'm being molded. No one can say, well, that's it. God's done with me. He's completed me. We are all being perfected. We are all being molded. You are a work in progress. Philippians 1 and verse 6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished. When is it finished? On the day when Christ Jesus returns. 
So nobody's finished yet. God is shaping you. He's taken hold of your life. He wants you to be the person that he wants you to be. He's smoothing off the rough edges. He's helping you to know right from wrong. How does he do that? He brings experiences into your life. He brings people into your life. Decisions, events, parents, friends, all sorts of things. They all help shape us through him. And that's not just spiritually. That is physically, that is mentally. But how are you being shaped spiritually? We all want to grow, don't we? It says that of Jesus, he grew in stature. He grew with man and he grew with God. We all need to be growing and changing and being molded. God never gives up on what he starts. So if he started the work in you, which the Bible says he has, he will finish it. Unlike many of us, and this is one of the things that my wife says about me. I start saying, oh, you always start saying, you never finish it. I think I do. You know what I've said, and I've said it from here a number of times. Just because I said I'll finish it or I'll do it, you don't have to keep nagging me every six months, do you? (laughs) Or every six years. But sometimes we're like that, don't we? We start something, we never really complete it, and we never, it's always just, oh, it's okay, I'll do that again, you know? That's not God. He says, I've started it, and I will finish it, and I'll keep working on you. I'll keep working on you. The thing is, when you're being molded, and this is one of the things I was learning as I was not actually doing pottery, but researching it. I don't know some people here have actually thrown a pot on a potter's wheel, because I asked last week. And you will know this fact, that if you're going to throw a pot, that clay has to be where on the wheel? Right in the center. You try putting it on the wheel. I've got a great little wheel here. Look. You try putting it just off center. <laughs> you start throwing it, and it'll, it'll literally move off the wheel. The potter can't mold something unless it's probably in the center of the wheel. It almost sounds like the center of his will, doesn't it? That's the place to be. Yeah, you can get by just on the outside. But it's, n- it's going to be so hard. It's just off center. But it's going to be so hard to form. There's going to be a little bit of a throw in it. And the potter is going to have to work really hard to get that into the center. He can't really work with it when it's not in the center. Are you in the center of his will? I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. That means a question that I don't want an answer to. Answer it in yourself. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being right in the center. Let me move that because it's giving a... There we are. 10 is right in the center. Where would you say you are with God right now? Say one is out here. Ten is there. Are you right in the center of his love? Are you right in the center of everything that he's got for you, his blessing? Are you right in the center of his presence? When I got up yesterday morning, I would have given you a figure to that. And if you'd ask me right now, today, I'm going to give you a different figure. Because I had an encounter with God yesterday. And maybe I was just there yesterday. I think today I'm a little bit more there. 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 I was on this train carriage coming back yesterday from this event. Eight pastors, loads of other people, sat in random seats. The seats that I was sat in was pastor of King's Church, Dave Edwards, sat with me. A pastor from Cardiff called Wade McLennan. He was sat next to me. And in front of him, a guy I never even met before, but he was with us. His name was Alex. I don't even know his surname. An older guy. 
And we started coming back, and it was the second half of the Welsh rugby game. I thought, I'll catch the second half of the rugby. I got my phone out, propped it up on my scarf. No problem, watching the second half. If you know me, you know I like my sport, right? My sport is important. It took a lot for me to go to London yesterday because Wales was playing. You know, I thought, oh, I'm going to miss the rugby. Oh, I better go, I better go, you know. Better go. Looks good. You know, I better go. I had a great time. On the way back, I thought, I'll catch the second half. Put it there. Anyway, they started talking about godly stuff. They started talking about the Bible. They started praying. And, and, and I thought, oh, this is getting interesting. And I started to listen. And all of a sudden, this guy, who I didn't really know, started talking about some encounters he'd had and, and some of the experiences he'd had with God. And I'm like, and I, something went off in me. What are you going to do? Are you going to join this conversation? Or are you going to watch the rugby? And I switched my phone off, pushed it to one side. And as I was listening to this man and what he's been through and what God has used him in doing, I just went, I said, wow, I want some of that. I want that. And you know, I was one of the pastors now, you know, wasn't a, uh, I wasn't going, yes, and God's used me in that way as well. I said, no, I want that. I want that. I want to be used like that. And if I did, he just looked at me, and in a loud voice, he started prophesying over me. And he was like, this is what God is saying right now. Blah, blah. And I thought, this is him. I thought, wow, this is God. And he was saying things into my life that he didn't know about, nobody else knew about, but I knew about, God knew about. He was saying, bang this, bang that. I was going, wow. And tears were streaming down my face. I was sat in this carriage looking around. David was sat opposite me going. <laughs> and he's saying stuff. And then he went on to ministry. And he, and he actually said about the church. And he said something over the church, us. And he said, oh, my word, I got, I've written it down, those, these words. intended to say this. That's why I haven't got it ready. He said these words in the, pro in the prophetic word. He said over your ministry, over, over the church, he said, your warfare has ended. He said, your warfare has ended. I went, what? And you know, thinking about it, we've had a bit of a battle over a couple of years, haven't we? We've had some nasty big things happening, visible things. But those are just the things that we can see up front. There's lots of things going on in the, in the background, in the spiritual areas. And he said, God is saying this, your warfare has ended. And Wade, the pastor from Cardiff, he said, that's the scripture. He said, that's the scripture. And he looked it up, he looked it up, he said, it's Isaiah 40. You've got to read it in perhaps the New King James or, or even the King James. And it goes on to say at the end of that, that those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. And bang, these words were hitting me. Bang, bang. And the tears were streaming down my face. And I said, oh God. But do you know why that happened? Because I turned my phone off. And I said, I want it. And all of a sudden, God says, do you want it? Here it is. Bang. And sometimes we've got to put ourselves there. Sometimes we've got to say, I'm not going to stay here on the outskirts. I'm coming here. I want it. So yesterday, I might have said, well, maybe up there, yeah. Today, I'm going, there, right in the middle. But I don't want this to go, because it does go sometimes, doesn't it? And we move away again. So where would you put yourself? Are you going to put yourself there? As we drove, not drove, as we arrived 
been to Newport. I was our stop me and Dave, we got up and we said goodbye to everybody. And as we were walking past all these people, they were all like, ah. This one woman grabbed my arm, sat there with her two little kids. And she said, thank you. She said, thank you for that prayer. She said, that was awesome. I didn't want to say, well, it wasn't me. It was somebody prophesying over me. She said, it was fantastic. Thank you. So I said, I've got to get off. But I just grabbed her arm and I said, God bless you. I pray for you in Jesus' name. I text Wade as soon as I got off. I said, Wade, lady in, in that row there, she's, she's really, some, God has done something to her. He said, don't worry about that. He said, we're praying for the guy in the wheelchair sat opposite her. <laughs> that whole carriage, all of a sudden, the presence of God just came down in it. This guy, when he was pro- after he finished prophesying, he just burst into song. <laughs> Nobody else joined in. I was, <laughs> I was trying to join in. <laughs> I tell you what, it was it was buzzing. Like I said, I had an encounter with God, or did God have an encounter with me? Did He say, "I've got you"? Turn your phone off. Do you want to be there? You know, sometimes we question God, don't we? Sometimes we, we say, well, why haven't you done this, God? You know, I've, I've, been, I've been virtually in the center of your will here. I'm doing everything I'm trying to do. And, and you know, I'm allowing you to mold me and shape me. And, and you haven't answered this prayer. But he just says, come close to me. Come close to me. There's no point in us getting angry with God over stuff. Paul said this to the Roman church, on this very thing. Romans 9, verse 22. He says, who are you, you mere human being, you mere mortal, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes a jar out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw in the garbage? We have no right to question God. He is the potter. We are the clay. But we do question Him. When things don't go right, we're not qualified to question Him. All we are qualified to do is trust Him. The only person who was maybe a little bit more qualified than us to question God through Scripture was a man called Job. Some stuff happened to him. If you want to read the book of Job, be prepared. It's heavy going. By the way, Artie Kendall wrote 37 sermons on the book of Job. If you can write one, it'd be great. 37. Such a teacher he was. The first part of Job is great. The end part is great. The middle is really hard going. He lost his family. He lost absolutely everything. Because God allowed him to be tested more than probably any other man apart from Jesus. So he might have had a right, don't you think, to question God. I love the last part of Job. Let's read a bit of it. A few verses here. We're going to look at Job 38. When Job actually plucks up the courage to question God. And say, why? What are you doing? What are you up to? Why have you done this? And Job 38 verse 1. I'm going to read these verses out. Then the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. He said, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? And then he said to this to Job, brace yourself like a man. Because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation? And who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. 
Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in its thickness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further will you come. Here, your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape and the clay pressed beneath the seal. It is robbed in brilliant colors. And the thing is, God doesn't stop there. He goes on and on. He doesn't give him a break, Job. He just says, where were you when I did this? Who are you to question me when I done that? Can you answer me? Have you got an answer? And eventually, he says to Job in Job 40 and verse 1 and 2, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? Are you God's critic? Do you have the answers? And Job eventually has to admit, No, he said, I'm the, I'm the clay. You're the potter. You're in charge. I'm just a mere man. And in verse 3 of Job 40, Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. And sometimes we need, just need to be like that, don't we? I've got nothing to say, God. I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why that is happening. All I know is you're the potter and I'm the clay. But just like Isaiah is saying, we are formed by his hand. He is our father. But the odd thing about it all is that God Almighty allows us to have an opinion. He allows us to. And like any other created creature, we're the only ones he allows to have an opinion. What we must realize, and like I said last week, it's not just a, a head knowledge. We must feel him, know him, that he is the omnipotent one, the all-powerful one. He is the omnipresent one, the all-present. He is the omniscient one, all-knowing. We need to move closer to the center of his will. And then finally, the last part of the process of making this pot is the fire. There it is. The kiln. The heating up. The fire. Hebrews 12 verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. He wants to consume us. And that consuming is a constant consuming. You see, clay has to be heated in a certain way. It has to be heated slowly because that it prevents cracking, exploding. All sorts of things can go wrong in the fire. Don't play with the fire. And sometimes we play around in the fire. But the fire of God consumes us. He wants us right in the center. He wants to mold us. And he says, I want to consume you. Some pottery takes longer in the kiln than others. Some pottery takes longer to be molded than others. Because we're all unique. We're all different. All different shapes and sizes. Emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. We're not all going to spend the same time in his hands being molded in the kiln. But, let me read these words. 
1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 to 7 I think it is so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while these trials will show that your faith is genuine it is being tested by fire as fire tests and purifies gold though your faith is far more precious than gold so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. This testing fire that he's talking about here is a refining fire. That fire is testing the pot. That fire is refining the pot. Refining means to make better, to make good. So when it comes out of that fire, it's, it's ready. It's been done. It's been fired. This is an interesting point that someone made in one of the commentaries I read. Our faith isn't tested in the fire because God doesn't know how much faith or what kind of faith we have. It's tested with fire because we are ignorant of how much faith we have. We are ignorant of what kind of faith we have. We are ignorant of how strong our faith is. You know, when I was talking to this guy yesterday who said, well, I don't know whether I can give you some of his stories. They might blow your mind, but some encounter he had in a supermarket with a demon-possessed man. Wow. He said, I was just shopping, minding my own business praising God as I was doing so. Turned around one aisle, my wife and I, he said, and all of a sudden this, this man confronted me and just fell on the floor screaming at my feet. I was going, what? He said, I didn't know what to do. He said, I just prayed. He said, a simple prayer. He said, I, I prayed, God, this man has just fallen over. Help him. But he says, as I tried to put my hand on him, he said, it was like cellophane. He said, I couldn't put it through. And he said, all of a sudden, this bubbling up in me came out. He said, I started to speak in tongues. And he started to speak in tongues. And all of a sudden, poof, his hand went through and touched him. And this guy just got up and went, oh, thank you very much. And he said, his countenance was different, changed. I looked at him, I said, and that's the point I went, I want some of that. I want some of that. You see, sometimes we don't realize what we've got. We don't realize the strength and the power that is in us. And I've talked about this before. We are the ecclesia. It means the church. Well, it doesn't actually mean the church, but that's the word we've substituted for it. Ecclesia. And I'll explain it again. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. Now, when the disciples heard that, they knew exactly what he meant. Because the ecclesia were the body that governed the towns and the cities. They were the called out ones. Maybe the potter. Maybe the blacksmith. Maybe the local businessman. They were the ones who would come together as the ruling council of the day. They were the ecclesia, the called out ones. They were the ones with authority. They were the ones who made the decisions. So when Jesus said, I'm going to call out. I'm going to bring together. I'm going to build my ecclesia. He's talking about us, his body. So what does that mean? It means you have authority. It means you are the decision makers. It means you are the ones who are the called out ones. And when you're walking around in that power, in that authority, other spiritual forces recognize it and they step back or they shudder in your presence but then they may go oh oh he doesn't even know it oh <laughs> we're okay he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't know <laughs> but all of a sudden when we begin to realize and we tested by fire what we have and when we begin to put it into practice that's when we realize the power that we have. Why? Because we're consumed in the fire. 
stay in the fire. The only difference between this pot and us is the pot in the fire has to come out and cool down. We must never cool down. We must never cool down. Continually be in the fire. Romans 12 and verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Fervor means heat. It means fire. Stay hot. A good indicator of someone's spiritual temperature, someone said once. A good indicator of someone's spiritual temperature is their eagerness to be in God's presence. Is their eagerness to want more. Is their eagerness to be in the center. How hot are you? I don't know if I think I told you this story once before. When I was a boy, there was a man up the valleys. He's passed on. Now he's going to be with Jesus. His name was Alf Harris. I don't know if anybody knew him. No. Alf. He was an elder up in Risca in the church in Fernley. Always searching for more. Always wanted more. And whatever service was put on, children's service, kids, Tuesday night, we used to have Sunshine Corner. On Tuesday night, we'd be there. All sorts of weird, wonderful things would happen. Alf Harris was there. Prayer meeting, he'd be there. Any gathering, any meeting, he'd be there. Someone asked him once, why are you there, Alf, at every meeting? Whenever we come to worship, whenever the kids come to do their stuff, and he said, well, why are you there? He said, God might turn up. I don't want to miss out. He said, he might just do something and I, I'm going to miss it. This was his story. He said, I, I just want to be whatever I can be to get more of God. Do you want to be there? On the train yesterday, I could have carried on watching the rugby. Could have switched off to the, congregate, to the conversation. But I didn't. I looked up. I said, I want that. And as soon as I did, bang, God did something. He's the potter, we're the clay. Let's start acting like the clay, shall we? And let's start treating him like the potter. I'm going to ask the Lawrence to come back up and let's just go into a, a time of worship. And But I want to ask you a question. I don't know your situation. I don't know everything about you. I don't know everyone here. But I want to ask you a question. You heard me say the story about, I've said a lot this afternoon, and a lot you might forget. But I want to ask you this particular question. You heard me tell the story about being redeemed, that pot that was redeemed. I want to ask you that question. Are you redeemed? Has Jesus Christ bought you back? Do you belong to him? Or are you still lost? Are you still in that shop somewhere? Because you can be his today. Right now. You can turn to him. You can ask him. Say, Lord, I'm here. Take me back. Take me in. I'm yours. Because he wants you. Shall we pray? Because I want you to pray this prayer in your heart, if that's you. If that's you right now, and you're saying, yeah, I want to belong to him. Acknowledge that I am his, but I need to come back. I need to come back into that family. Pray this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for dying for me, to redeem me. 
thank you for being the ultimate sacrifice for my sin. I give my life to you right now. I want to live my life for you and with you. I admit that I am the clay and you are the potter. And if you've prayed that, just let me know quickly by putting your hand up and putting it back down and I'll pray with you afterwards. I want to give you something to read. If you prayed that, yes, 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 yes. Any more? Yes. Just a moment, we're going to worship and we're going to stand. And I want to pray with you. But I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm going to, I know who you are. I'll come and pray with you afterwards. I want to give you something to read. Just explain that this is the first step on the journey. You are work in progress. He loves you. For us who've been on this journey a little while, what was the number you gave yourself? Don't shout it out. What was the number you gave yourself? Talk to yourself about it. Say, do I want a bigger number? Do I want to get a bit closer? Am I going to switch my phone off? Am I going to listen to this conversation? Am I going to ask the question? Am I going to pose the question to God? I want that. Because the onus is on you. Come on, let's stand. Let's worship Him.